Vegas. In the entertainment capital of the world, it's the T.C. Martin Show. We are seeing a special performance in this first half tonight. The doctor operates here. Oh, he has trouble with the snap. Time to get your daily prescription from the doctor, T.C. Martin. Hey, it was BYOG bring your own guts. And they brought some guts and some heart, and they never quit. The doctor is now in. And happy Monday to you as we recap a very busy and wild championship Sunday. Another great one, wasn't it? That's what, six games now? All right, four last week went down to the final play of the game. Five of the six go down to the final play. And in the Rams 49ers game, we go to Neil Diamond. Craziness. All down to the final possession, down to the final minute. And uh, great football. And now we've got two weeks to hype up Super Bowl 56. We'll be breaking it down for you today, talking all about it. The victory yesterday by the Cincinnati Bengals. Huh? 125 to one shot when we start all this back in September. The Bungles, the Bengals, call them what you want, are in the Super Bowl. Craziness. No Cincinnati Bengal fan, no NFL fan thought the Cincinnati Bengals would be in the Super Bowl. Nobody. Joe Burrow didn't think they were going to be in the Super Bowl. Forget about it. He said, he goes, if you told me in September, the beginning of the season, that we would be in the Super Bowl, I'd say you're crazy. The guy's honest. He's right. Nobody saw the Cincinnati Bengals coming. And a lot of people, probably most people, didn't think the, the Rams would be in the Super Bowl as well either. Remember, both of these teams were number four seeds. Number four seeds. Both of them. Number four seeds don't get to the Super Bowl. As a matter of fact, this is the two lowest seeds ever to meet in a Super Bowl since we've gone to this seeding process going back decades upon decades when we were doing, you know, six teams and now we're doing seven teams each from each conference. But yeah, craziness. But is this good for the National Football League? Absolutely is. It's good for fans. Uh, and if people want to root for the underdog, I mean, that's great. It's fantastic. But here's what's better for the NFL. doesn't matter who's playing, but how these games are unfolding, the excitement level, the unpredictability, that's great. Now, there's some bad aspects, too, and we'll save that for tomorrow, for Terrible Tuesday, that are driving me nuts while I'm watching these games yesterday. But anyway, we will talk about that. Tomorrow, But today, uh, let's celebrate uh, the Rams and the Bengals. We will give you highlights. We will talk to you from the Niners and the Chiefs perspective as well, too, because a lot of people thought that would be the Super Bowl, at least the Chiefs. I mean, a seven-point favorite, number two seed. Come on, they they were going to be there, right? Man, and they were there for a half until they imploded. All right, we've got college basketball we'll talk about as well today. Kevin Kruger will join us, the UNLV head coach. Love talking to Kevin. And uh, his weekly spot basically here. And tomorrow they get ready for a big game for the Rebels. They take on Nevada, a.k.a. UNR, a.k.a. Reno, at the Thomas and Mack Center. And this is big because the Rebels are coming off probably their most impressive victory. As a 14-point underdog 
over the weekend on Friday night, they went into Colorado State and blasted them. They were up close to 20 points this entire game, got off to a red-hot start, and the Rebels blasted Colorado State, uh, one of the best teams in the Mountain West Conference, So, if not the best. That's coming off a Rebels loss, where they lost 80-55 to earlier in the week at San Diego State. The Rebels had all kinds of injury problems, had some COVID issues still, but with a very limited bench, basically eight guys available on Friday night, Colorado Springs are up there. They they blasted Colorado State. So good for Kevin Kruger, good for the Rebels. Very happy for him. So we will talk to Kevin Kruger today as they get ready for the game against uh, UNR tomorrow night at the Thomas and Mack Center. They'll tip it off at 7.30. We'll be out there. Look forward to that. Timmy B., Tim Brando will join us today. We talked to Tim Brando. He's turned the page from the college football broadcasting to the uh, NCAA tournament as we get ready. And Timmy B. said, hey, starting next week, he's all, as he quoted, balls to the wall, getting ready for March Madness. So we'll talk to him. And then from the football perspective, we'll talk to our good friend Matthew Holt with his Monday spot here from U.S. Integrity. Matt, uh, formerly on the other side of the counter, and now uh, on the integrity issue, making sure that all of the sports gaming is up to date, dealing with all of these college football conferences and these professional leagues. So, of course, we'll talk to Matt. We'll recap Championship Sunday as well. But let's start uh, with some Raider news. Raiders are holding a press conference as we speak. And I would love to be there today. But, of course, they scheduled the press conference at the exact same time that we are on the air. So I am here. Mark Davis is speaking right now at the Raiders uh, training facility in Henderson, holding a press conference as he announces the hiring of Dave Ziegler, the new general manager of the Las Vegas Raiders. The Raiders made it officially yesterday, uh, sending out the press release saying Dave Ziegler is the new GM. Press conferences today. Mark Davis will introduce Dave Ziegler and also talk about Josh McDaniels, who still officially is not the head coach, but it definitely looks like it is a package deal. And... Uh, I love Ed Grady's uh, column today in, in the Las Vegas Review-Journal where he said that the Raiders are settling on the Patriots package. <laughs> and I like that word, settle, because that's kind of the way I view this thing as they are settling. When you don't even attempt to have a conversation with Jim Harbaugh or some other veteran coaches, and that's going to get a lot of pushback. If Josh Daniels is the guy, and of course we... You know, we are hearing that he is the guy, but again, I don't like saying that you know the news until it is official, and that is not coming from Adam Schefter, coming from other people out there, but coming from our team that uh, we're partners with in the Las Vegas Raiders. So yesterday, the Raiders made it official that Dave Ziegler is their new general manager. He's being introduced. As we speak right now at the Intermountain Healthcare Performance Center in Henderson. So Dave Ziegler is in the house and he is uh, speaking to the media right now. We will have that audio for you for tomorrow's show to play back for you. Uh, so Josh McDaniel, that is going to be the next one coming. Uh, Josh McDaniel, six Super Bowl titles as an offensive coordinator for the New England Patriots. But as we know, Josh McDaniel's not famous for being an NFL head coach. And when you look at the Bill Belichick coaching tree, it is not very impressive at all. And that's what 
a lot of people are already talking about and what we're going to be talking about. Career head coaching records of the seven former Bill Belichick assistants in New England who have left to run their own team. This includes interim stints. Bill O'Brien, the most successful, 52-48. and 48. Well, that didn't last too long for Bill O'Brien in Houston, as you know. He ended up you know, going over to Penn State, Alabama. Didn't work well. Eric Mangini, 33-47. and 47. He tried to run the Jets. Didn't work out at all, even though Tony Soprano liked Eric Mangini. Yeah, Tony Soprano had Eric Mangini on the Sopranos. You remember that. Romeo Cornell, another guy that has bounced around, offensive coordinator position, but 32-63 and 63 as a head coach, no good. Brian Flores, under 500, even though he's a hot candidate right now. Looks like he will be the Houston Texans' next head coach. 24-25 and 25 was Brian Flores' record as a head coach for the Miami Dolphins. Matt Patricia, remember, he was the hot guy going to Detroit. That didn't work out. 13-29-1 for Matt Patricia. Josh McDaniels failed miserably in two seasons in Denver. Below 500 there, 11-17 and 17 his record there. Joe Judge, the latest. Went over to the Giants, got dismissed a couple weeks ago. Joe Judge, his record, 10-23. and 23. So if you add all of that up, of the seven guys that went on to be head coaches from the Bill Belichick tree, 175 and 252 in one. That is not good. Not good at all. So excuse people for having pessimism for the Raiders if Josh McDaniels is announced as the head coach, which we firmly expect him to be named that here officially, probably having his own press conference, uh, you know, coming uh, today. <laughs> so um, Mark Davis had introduced Dave Ziegler, and then now today he's inter- introducing uh, Josh McDaniels as the head coach. So there you go. So, And I kind of thought that they would probably do both these guys today, even though the Raiders said that they were going to uh, you know, have the press conference today, not saying who the particulars were, were going to be. But we know that, again, they made the formal announcement that it was uh, Dave Ziegler uh, as the general manager and then Josh McDaniels, uh, they're working out the terms. So obviously they worked out the terms uh, earlier this morning. Josh McDaniels has now joined Mark Davis and Dave Ziegler uh, at the uh, podium there at the Intermountain uh, Healthcare Facility Performance Center in Henderson. So Josh McDaniels, officially uh, the head coach of the Raiders now. All right, so we will give you that audio and that sound on tomorrow's show. But today, we talk about the championship games and the drama and the excitement that we witnessed yesterday. First, let's start in the AFC. Cincinnati Bengals get the upset over the Kansas City Chiefs 27-24. to And this story is all about the big collapse and the choke job of Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid and the Kansas City Chiefs. I can't put much other choke jobs out there on Travis, Kelsey, or um, anyone else for that matter. You can't. Tyreek Hill? No. Defense? Maybe to a certain degree, yes, because that defense looked like a sieve the last couple series, especially the last one, because this looked like this team was going to go down and actually score a touchdown in the overtime, instead of instead of settling for the field goal. And that's what they did. We're talking about the Cincinnati Bengals. But a lot of this is on Patrick Mahomes. He looked nothing like the past MVP. 
It was a tale of two games for Mahomes. First half looked great. Chiefs came out, started fast. And we talked about this last week, saying the Chiefs, we hope they come out there if you're back in the Chiefs, because the emotional high that they're coming off of against the Buffalo Bills, one of the most exciting games on last Sunday night, are they going to be ready to come out fast? And we thought maybe the Bengals will come out fast. Total opposite. The Chiefs came out fast, scored touchdowns in their first three possessions, just like that, bam, they're ahead 21-3. to They got an 18-point lead. And then the second half happened. Patrick Mahomes looked rattled. He looked nervous. He looked mistake-prone. looked nothing like the Patrick Mahomes that uh, uh, the Chiefs were hoping for. Kansas City led 21-3 to midway through the second quarter, and the Bengals scored 24 unanswered points in Kansas City at Arrowhead Stadium. Think about that. 24 unanswered points. At Arrowhead Stadium. And the Chiefs looked like they were in cruise control. 21-3, this is going to be the blowout that we all thought that it could be. And Kansas City comes back. They tied up at 24. They had a golden opportunity to win it with less than a minute to go. But then they got conservative. They had first and goal at the 5. Went backwards. Had to settle for a field goal from 44 yards out. And then we go to overtime. Chiefs win the coin flip. They're going ballistic. They're going crazy. But they can't move the ball. They hold the ball for five seconds in the overtime. Five seconds. And then Bengals get it, march right down the field, and then they end the game with the field goal. All right. But the turning point of this game, clearly, is when Kansas City scored three touchdowns on their first three drives. Drive number four was going the exact same way as it looked like they were going to be in for the daily double. And we use that term in football if you score on the final possession of the first half and then you're going to receive the kickoff to start the second half. you got a chance to get double points here without the opponent touching it. And that's exactly what it looked like has happened. So at this point, it was 21-10 to 10 as the Bengals had scored and the Chiefs are marching right down the field on their fourth possession, looking like, okay, it's going to be their fourth touchdown. And they had the ball first... Uh, First and goal around the 10-yard line. But here's where the, the turning point was. Then we have a pass interference call in the end zone, and the ball's placed at the one-yard line. Eli Apple commits the pass interference call in the end zone, and here are the Chiefs. First down, first to goal at the one, even though the Chiefs are battling against the clock here. And Patrick Mahomes has two tries to get it in the end zone, with nine seconds to go. First play is an incomplete pass, and then they decide, instead of kicking the field goal, or instead of trying to run the ball maybe up the middle, instead they settle for a pass play. Thank you, Trace. Look toward the coach, and here it is. Is it there? Hill. He's got to be the defender, and the Bengals make the stop to close out the half. Oh, boy. And the margin is 11. The margin's 11. That was it, halftime. And the Kansas City Chiefs blow a golden opportunity to go up at least 24 to 10, kicking a field goal. But if they get that touchdown, it's 28 to 10. But again, incomplete pass. They uh, they opt not to run the football. And a lot of people think, well, you gotta you gotta pass the football. No, you don't. If you're at the one yard line, okay, especially when you're taking the other team's taking timeouts here. You come in with a different package, you run it. You run it up the gut. 
And even with nine seconds to go, you could probably run it up and then get up. If you don't get in, you spike it real quick, and then you got one more shot. Then you kick the field goal, or if you want the pass play. But let's be honest. I mean, pass plays do not work from the one-yard line. Pass plays rarely work for the two-point conversion at the two-yard line. They never entertained the thought of pounding the ball when they were pounding the ball very efficiently throughout the first half of this game. But make, make, make no mistake about it, this was the turning point of this game. There's no doubt about it. That Mahomes pass to Tyreek Hill in the flat was a ridiculous play call. They lost yardage, and they go into halftime losing momentum now, even though they're still up 21-10. to 10. Time expires. That's it. This team, they seem flat now. So now they come out the second half. They get the kickoff to open the second half. They get one first down on that drive. They end up having to punt. Then Cincinnati gets the ball back. They punt. Kansas City gets the ball back. They punt again. Then all of a sudden Cincinnati puts a little drive together and they get a field goal from McPherson to make it 21 to 13. Now that's big because from 21 to 10 to 21 to 13 as you're coming towards the end of the third quarter and now you're only one possession away from tying it up with a touchdown and two-point conversion and it seems that the, the Cincinnati Bengals have momentum on their side. They got it when they made that stop at the end of the first half and now they got themselves a field goal. Now from their own 32-yard line Disaster happens for the Kansas City Chiefs as they have the ball at their own 32 trying to answer the Bengals' score. Second and three. Pass up in the air and stolen. It's picked off by Cincinnati. From his own 32, Mahomes throws what appears to be a screen pass and it gets tipped in the air and, and picked off by a defensive lineman by the Bengals. The game was never the same after this for the Kansas City Chiefs. It was a bad throw, a horrendous interception, and five plays later, the Cincinnati Bengals rally for a touchdown. You got to get it out. There it is to the end zone, and he comes down with it. Outrageous. What a catch. Chase, one-on-one. Forget about it. Joe Burrow goes to his college teammate, Jamar Chase from LSU, the tag team that scares the heck out of you if you're an opponent, and it really had not come to life until that point in time. Burrow to Chase for the touchdown, and they get the two-point conversion, and now, boom, just like that, this game is tied 21-21. Arrowhead Stadium is going eerily quiet at this point in time right now, and if you're the Chiefs and you're laying seven, you're a little nervous right now. If you're the Chiefs and you got a teaser, you're very nervous right now. But you're thinking, okay, Kansas City should come back still and win this game. But remember, Patrick Mahomes looks nothing like himself. What happens after this? Kansas City can't do anything on its next drive. They go three and out. But Kansas City gets a break because Joe Burrow throws an ill-advised interception and the Chiefs get the ball back, okay, at midfield. It looks like, okay, Kansas City's going to put this game away. Now they get the mojo back. The crowd's back into it. But what happens? Kansas City can't do anything with it. Another three and out. Embarrassing three and outs and interceptions. That's what you got from the Kansas City Chiefs throughout the third quarter and all the way to their last drive in the fourth quarter. Cincinnati now puts together the drive of the game. A 12-play drive that lasts 6 minutes and 18 seconds. And it's capped by 
the go-ahead field goal by who, who else but the rookie, the crazy man, McPherson again. 52 yards away. Can we do it from 52 again? This kick is good. Oh, Jay. I say crazy man McPherson because this guy's got ice water in his veins. When he went out last week to kick the game-winning field goal, he said, I got this. We got this. And he even said after the game, he goes, I knew we were going to win this game. After that, after we tied it up, he goes, I knew we were going to win the game. And he gave him the lead right there, right there. So Cincinnati put together that drive of the game. 12 plays, 6-18. McPherson hits the 52-yard field goal. And now with 6.09 to go, they're up 24-21. Kansas City now finally looks like their old self. They've got their back to the wall. They need a field goal to tie. They need a touchdown to win. And you had to be thinking that the Chiefs are thinking touchdown here, not field goal. And it looked that way. Six minutes. They take the final six minutes off the clock here. It looked like they were going to go down and score a touchdown. 13 play drive. They covered 71 yards. Take the final six minutes off the clock. They have a first and goal at the five-yard line with plenty of time. Over a minute to play with timeouts. And what happens here? They run a running play to McKinnon that goes nowhere. So he stopped at the four-yard line. Now, all of a sudden, Patrick Mahomes goes back to pass, getting all conservative once again. He gets sacked. All right? So from second down at the, at the four, he gets sacked. Now it's third and goal from the nine. And what happens? Disaster again. He's got protection. Too much time. You can't do that. All the way back to the 21. Now they chase him. Spins around, and the ball's out. It was recovered, though, by Tooney. It was Hubbard who forced it, and now you've got to make a longer field goal. The Chiefs had first and goal at the five. They're on their home field. Get in the end zone. It's over. You're going to the Super Bowl. Instead, they got conservative. They went backwards, and now they have to settle for a 44-yard field goal. You're first and goal at the five. And now a 44-yard field goal. Mahomes fumbled that ball. Luckily, offensive lineman jumped on for Kansas City to preserve the opportunity for Harrison Butker to now try to send the game into overtime. That's the best they could do. From 44 yards, Butker, can he do it again? Can he tie it in regulation? And yes, he can. 24 all. We're going to overtime. So now the Chiefs fans are back to life. But still, you're not feeling comfortable if you're the Chiefs. Now it's time for the coin flip. Deja vu all over again. What happens? The Chiefs win the toss. Crowd's erupting. They're going crazy. Chiefs are jumping up and down themselves. But guess what happens? Kansas City gets the ball. They run two plays. That's it. They run two plays in the overtime as Mahomes gets intercepted again. Lewis Phillips dropped a very similar chance at a pick in the next play. Montana beat him with a touchdown pass to Taylor. And now they go deep down the field, and it is intercepted on the rebound by Bell. On Bell. Oh, he is clobbered, clotheslined at the 45. But they take over the Bengals with the third straight game in the playoffs where they come up with a crucial pick. They picked off Ryan Tannehill three times last week. They do it Patrick Mahomes twice. 
None more important than what happened there in the overtime. Cincinnati runs nine plays, running it down their throat, taking their sweet time. They get down to the Kansas City 10-yard line to set up the game winner from McPherson again. From 31 yards, McPherson. And Cincinnati is heading to the Super Bowl. He called it again, I'm sure. He walked up and he goes, can you believe, Coach? We're going to the Super Bowl. And they did it. They beat Mahomes at home. Wow, Joe Burrow. No way. Only two quarterbacks have won an FBS national title game and a Super Bowl. And that's Joe Namath and Joe Montana. And Joe Burrow's trying to be the third. The Bengals go into the Super Bowl in upset fashion, defeating the Kansas City Chiefs at Arrowhead Stadium. The Cincinnati comeback tied Indianapolis versus New England back in 2006 for the largest AFC championship history deficit, an 18-point deficit. The Bengals overcome it, and they look like the better team the entire second half. Craziness. But the Cincinnati Bengals going to the Super Bowl. Now, we go to the NFC. Rams and the 49ers. The streak is over. Rams finally beat the 49ers in another colossal collapse. This time, it was the Niners and Jimmy Garoppolo. First Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City, now Jimmy Garoppolo. We thought, okay, we're going to see that same Super Bowl, Super Bowl we saw a couple years ago, right, with these two quarterbacks. No. San Francisco led 17-7 to to start the fourth quarter. Rams scored the first TD back, uh, you know, to start the game seven nothing, but then San Francisco scored the next seventeen points. It was like deja vu of what we saw in Week 18 when the 49ers scored all of those points to come back in the second half. But this time, the Rams decided to come back because in the fourth quarter, it's all about Matt Stafford and Cooper Cup. So Stafford cuts the lead to seventeen to fourteen, and at this point in time, when the Niners are leading seventeen to seven, the moment the Rams got in the end zone, this game changed. They're down and one. Stafford end zone cup got it. Touchdown Rams. Seventeen fourteen. Now Rams back in the in the game. Even though this crowd was like fifty fifty, the Rams fans were coming alive. Now San Francisco gets the ball back. They can't move it. They have to punt. But then San Francisco still has a chance to seal the deal, leading seventeen to fourteen. The Rams have the ball, and Matt Stafford makes a huge mistake. Stafford airs it out. Jefferson downfield. He's picked. No, dropped. Unbelievable. A drop by Jaquaski Tart, and he cannot believe it. Jaquaski Tart had the ball in his hands, fumbled it around, bounced it off his chest, off his hands. A sure interception with 9.47 to go in the game with the 49ers leading 17-14. to He had it in his hands. He dropped it, and that was it. That was it for the San Francisco 49ers. The game changed right then and there. The Rams' drive continues. Now the Rams got all the mojo, and Matt Gay ties it up with a field goal. He's got it to tie the game at 17. 17-17, San Francisco gets the ball back, okay? Still with some life. What do they do? Three and out. Another three and out. Rams get the ball back. They put together their drive of the game. They go 10 plays, 50 yards. They get to the San Francisco 49er 12-yard line, and they have to settle for a field goal. But Matt Gay, automatic again. He's got it. Rams are on top. 
Rams are on top 20 to 17, 149 to go. Niners now with their back against the wall. And Jimmy Garoppolo, it is his turn. Is he going to shine? Is he going to fold? And a drop pass to start the drive. And then Jimmy Garoppolo again drops back to pass. Niners season hanging in the balance. It's over. Garoppolo under pressure. Donald got there in the air, intercepted by the Rams, and they may ride to the Super Bowl on that. They do go to the Super Bowl. The mistake by Jimmy Garoppolo, an interception. Rams go to the Super Bowl, or should we say the Rams stay in their own stadium to go to the Super Bowl. For the second consecutive year, we have a team playing in their home stadium. Tampa Bay last year with the win, Rams playing at SoFi Stadium. After 54 Super Bowls, we never had it happen. We have it for two years in a row now. And now we got all the hype to begin for the next two weeks. The Rams and the Bengals are in Super Bowl 56. Matt Stafford, let's give him credit because not a lot of people thought he could get the job done, especially in a big game like this. On the big stage, even though he was playing at home, the Niners had their number. The Niners had beaten the Rams six straight games, and it looked like it was going to be seven in a row. But when it was Stafford to Cooper Cup to cut that lead to 17-14, you had a feeling the Rams had some life, and Stafford played great in the fourth quarter after that. Matthew Stafford was 11-14 for for 121 yards and a touchdown in the fourth quarter. Kudos to the Rams. Kudos for Matt Stafford. Kudos to the Bengals. Maybe not the Super Bowl we expected. Maybe not the Super Bowl a lot of people wanted. But you know what? The football that we've got going this season and this postseason, yeah, we're looking forward to it in two weeks. And we got two weeks of hype, and we'll start breaking it all down for you. But the Rams as a number four seed, the Bengals a number four seed also. They'll meet at SoFi Stadium on February the 13th. All right, we come back. We'll talk to Tim Brando. We'll get his thoughts regarding the championship Sunday, the Super Bowl, and we'll talk some college hoops with him as well, too. Matt Holt will join us next hour. We'll talk a little bit more about from a sportsbook perspective and the betting angle from uh, the Super Bowl as well as the, the two games yesterday as well, too. And Kevin Kruger will join us from UNLV, the head coaches. They get ready for their basketball game tomorrow night at the Thomas Mack Center against UNR. So a lot to hit on. We've already hit. And the Raiders introduce a new GM and coach, T.C. Martin Show, on a marvelous Monday. T.C. Martin. I'm ready to go in, Coach. Just give me a chance. The doctor is now in. In. Well, that music can only mean one thing. And we know what that is. The Timmy B theme song, now available on all KTEL records and tapes. There it is, the birth of Butt Boogie. And that means the award-winning broadcaster. It doesn't matter if it's basketball, if it's football. It doesn't matter. I, he, he could be working the Weeks championships, the pickleball championships, the one and only Tim Brando. What is going on, my man? Get down with your bad self, my man. That's good stuff. That, that's Always a, good to be with you, TJ. Oh, thank you, my friend. We appreciate it. All right, Timmy B. We're gonna talk we're gonna talk some football with you, some NFL, we're gonna yeah. talk some college hoops with you and a whole lot more. But you know, I just thought about that. I mean you know, pickleball is really sweeping the nation, Timmy B. Could you be on a pickleball call very, very soon? 
I hope not at this stage of my career. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, I, I've done a lot of, of, of different things in my early uh, life that I'm really glad uh, ESPN now has enough programming. They don't have to re-air it. Uh, <laughs> There was a time, and I'm not kidding you, there was a time when uh, they were first on the air and I was freelancing and living and working in Baton Rouge at the same time where I might have done a PKA karate show, which was basically um, uh, kickboxing, okay? Uh, they called it, it yeah. PKA karate. Yeah. It was uh, Joe Corley owned the owned it a little bit like the MMA uh or UFC, whatever, and um, he owned it, and therefore he wanted to be on television, so he got to be the analyst, and I and I would work with him. And, you know, a guy just get gets absolutely crushed in the groin area, and he's down, and you know, how many times can you creatively say, you know, uh, the guy just got kicked in the, you know, and... and uh, you, could, you could say it, Tim, it's then, okay. How, how many times can you say that over... <laughs> creatively uh well i was doing that one i do that maybe on a tuesday night <laughs> then i'd fly to do a usfl game which is now coming back as you know on fox fly to do a usfl game on a thursday night then back to vegas to do uh what they used to call top bob aram's top rank yes which was more more it was more low rank than top rank i think they were taking guys off semis uh, to to fight in in some of the uh, the marquee bouts and and poor Al Bernstein would somehow try to find a way to legitimize this guy that might be fighting for a you know a title and Al would I and Al would be doing it and he'd be shaking his head uh, and then maybe I would do right after that uh, a college baseball game on a Sunday night okay and so it's like maybe Tuesday so f- fast forward to like a Tuesday. And in those days, you didn't have enough sports center people to do all the live sports centers that they do now. And so they would rerun the PKA karate, the boxing, the college baseball, the USFL. And, 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 and basically, if you've got nothing else going on in your life, it's Brando all day long. You could just get Brando with Brando <laughs> so, <laughs> doing, doing these obscure you know, sports and, and some that were you know, maybe okay. Uh, all damn day, and I thought to myself, "Gosh, if I, they don't give residuals in cable TV in the '80s. You know, they just didn't do that." But, but I was maximizing my airtime. I I have now, though, TC, gotten to a point where if someone asks me to do something like that, okay, cornhole or pickle or you know that, right, right, right. I, I will respectfully say, you know, you got to me about. 40 years too late. <laughs> At least we don't have to watch Timmy B doing the cherry spitting contest on the yeah. Ocho. Thank you very much for that. I think, I think the I think the worst one that I ever call people have said what's the what's the one sport that you call that uh, you would you even then you would say please don't ever do that to me again. And it was without question women's bodybuilding. Um, women's professional bodybuilding was a really hard thing to watch on television. Um, and no disrespect to women that bodybuild, but it was just very trying and very difficult to deliver play by play on, you know, how many times can you say about a, uh, a well-oiled female body, 
check out those pectorals. I mean, how many times can you do that? You know Pro- I mean? Probably not enough for that audience. Yeah, not. <laughs> it was it was hard, and I remember I remember afterwards uh, getting through with that and saying, I, I think this time I'll, I will say no to that um, opportunity. But, but when you're young, somebody says, "Can you do this?" You yeah. say, "Yeah, I'll do it." You know, I was like Mikey in the cereal commercial, whatever the the really uh, gifted and um, veteran talent they had would say no to, I would always ultimately say yes to. And that's that's how you get started in this business. So let me say this, Tim Brando, okay? Because we are we are so connected at the hip here. I'm going to rock your world. You thought I'd rock your world with some of the musical selections on this show. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take All you right. back, my friend, because I know what you're talking about. You're talking about John Danner, I think, and Johan Kim. And you know where that was at, Tim Brando? That was at Arco Arena in Sacramento, California. I think I was at that bout. Timmy B on the yeah. call at the karate, and my old stomping grounds, the Arco Arena. I think we're going to see just a blazer out of these two guys. He's lightweight. Look at out here and already starting out throwing kick after kick, both of them. Now, we, we got some very bad audio here, but I, I think we'll, we won't play that. But I believe that was Arco Arena. Am I right about that, Timmy B? I, I, did, I did do uh, a McDonald's. It wasn't kickboxing. I, I did do the United States versus Russia in the 1985 McDonald's Classic where the 84 team with Karch Karai and that whole group yeah. went up against the Russian team because Russia didn't play in it. They didn't participate in 84 in L.A. And, of course, the United States didn't compete in 80 in Moscow. So they had this uh, this sort of six-game exhibition, and I did that at Arco. I did. Okay. Um, so I've, I've – I, team handball. Have you ever <laughs> seen team handball? On television, I've only when I'm, when I'm forced to when I'm forced to in the Olympic Games when I'm waiting yeah. for the other you know uh, the other some other event and they they're teasing us and I got to sit through handball yeah that's the only time <laughs> like I I'm waiting for like the gold medal match you right, know you know right. maybe uh, in boxing or something like that no I got to sit through well, handball they had, first they, they had something in those days when I was at ESPN called the United States Olympic Festival. Which was the USC USOC took the National Sports Festival, renamed it, put the Olympic arches on it, and called it America's Olympics. And they did have uh, venues for both uh, sports with their, their governing bodies of both the winter and the summer games participating. So you could have baseball, uh, volleyball, uh, and then hockey and figure skating going on at the same time as track and field and. And, and basketball. I mean, it was pretty amazing. And I did a number of those. That's, that's really how I got to the 25 different sports was through uh, that particular assignment that we had for a number of years. And, you know, it was a big-time two-week sports anthology thing, which, which helped them fill a lot of airtime. What I didn't know is that they were going to re-air it as, <laughs> as they did. People would be calling me going, Brando, I'm looking at this was like, you know, 15, 20 years ago, yeah. they're rehearing something and you're on, you're doing, um, equestrian. I'm like, yeah, I did that. <laughs> I, I did equestrian. And, and other guys like Jim Lampley, Chris Fowler, a little bit later, those guys did the exact same thing. I remember watching those guys like Lampley doing the the the, right. the diving yeah. championships in Mexico and Wide World of Sports or whatever. Well, and every and week he, was something he, different. Yeah, you know, because he because he was at ABC right. earlier than I was at ESPN. He was at ABC in like the earliest of eighties, 
as a sideline guy with Keith Jackson, right. he was doing, you know, the Petaluma arm wrestling championships right. with Keith, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and no, um, not to be confused with Sylvester the, Stallone in over the top over here at the Hilton yeah, Las the, Vegas, uh, right? What, what's the, what's the, <laughs> what's the one with, um, what's the one where they're, they're, they're bashing in cars, uh, the uh, demolition derby. Demolition Derby. There you yeah, go. I think he did some of that too. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, in those days, Rune Arledge would put anything on, oh. and and I mean, you could see Jim McKay or Bill Fleming <laughs> right. or Keith Jackson at these things. You know, it's true. Hello, everybody, Keith Jackson here at the Petaluma Arm Wrestling <laughs> Championship. My well, God. The next thing you know, he's doing Oklahoma, Texas, a couple days later. You know. Yeah. 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 There's, you we, you have to say yes early in your career, but as you get a little mm-hmm. bit older. Uh, you can uh, abstain without people, under, you know, knowing it, you know, that you did. All right, he is the great Tim Brando, and Tim, I, I had no idea that this uh, this segment was going to go in this direction of Petaluma arm wrestling to cliff diving <laughs> to to cherry spitting. Because I wanted to talk to you about what your eyes saw yesterday at the NFL. I, I want to get yeah. your take about Championship Sunday, Timmy B. What do you what do you think about well, all this? I, I thought I, I thought Burrow would win. I did. I picked them to win. I was surprised the 49ers didn't take care of the Rams, and they should have. I mean, my God, that that interception that was dropped hmm. cost them the game. I mean, that's the game right there. I mean, I, I feel for that poor kid. Um, I mean, that was like uh, the Lewis Billups drop right uh, in the Super Bowl yeah. before uh, Montana hit uh, John Taylor for the touchdown to give Walsh that went over the Bengals when Boomer was playing in 89, in January of 89. Jaquiski uh, Tart. You're going to remember that name forever. Jaquiski Tart. Yes, the, the Niners got tarted yesterday. Oh, my God. That poor kid will never, ever get over that one. Yeah. Because the, the 49ers would have won the game if he if he just holds on. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I, but I thought that um, Cincinnati, because, and, and I really will tell you, it was because of Burrow. And not... Not because he played at LSU and not because I'm from Louisiana, but because he's just that special. He is, uh, if he stays healthy, okay, uh, and he's coming off a really difficult injury from a year ago, which makes what he's accomplishing all the more incredible this year in just his second season. But he's a difference maker uh, on the field and off. Um, he, he's He's this generation's you name whatever great quarterback you want from the past. He's this generation's Staubach, this generation's Brady, this generation's Manning. He's 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 not thought of, you know, as a as a runner, but I mean, who eluded more trouble with a bad offensive line in a championship game than Joe Burrow? He did. I mean, yeah. Cincinnati's offensive line is not very good. Romo, I mean, um uh Troy Aikman pointed that out a lot yesterday, and and Romo did as well in in, in the game that uh, that they had. Uh, Troy's in the past seen uh, Joe Burrow play, and, and he liked you know his 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 opportunity and his. And, and, but I think Romo was shocked. Yeah, uh, watching that game yesterday, that Burrow could get away from as much pressure as he did, and frankly, I wasn't because I saw him do it at LSU. He was very much a part of the. LSU offense on the ground. I mean, Edward Elair was on that team with him, the right. Chiefs running back, which helped LSU win the national title that year. But frankly, 
Burrow was as effective running the football as just about any college quarterback in 2019, but he's not known for that. He's not known. Uh, he's, he's, he's not compared really to Josh Allen uh, athletically. I mean, he's not. People look at him and say, well, he's not as athletic. No, he's not. But the guy's a gamer. He's a, he's a winner. And uh, to me, he's just one of those guys a little bit like uh, Manning in terms of his preparation, a little bit like Brady in that his, his heartbeat is going at a slower rate but cooler rate than everybody else's went under pressure. And it's that combination that, that he's got that, that gives him an it factor that I don't think anybody else his age uh, maybe has ever had. People say, well, Brady won seven. Who, who the hell is going to ever come close to that? Well, this guy might. Okay. He's only in his second year, and he's playing with a bad offensive line. Yeah. So, and I don't know that he gets them all in Cincinnati. Don't get me wrong. But and it'll, if, he, if he does get to seven, it'll be long after I'm gone, so I won't know that I was right when I talked to you on January the 31st of 2022. <laughs> but, uh, but he's a special guy, and I'm picking him. I'm telling you right now, you guys in Vegas, just go over there right now. I think uh, oh, the, the, Hit the breaking news. Dan, Timmy B's about ready to release Danny a Super Sheridan. Bowl. He's going to release a Super Bowl my pick already. Danny Sheridan. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah Danny's been my on the show. Danny Sheridan has told me you wait until next week to make the bet, okay, because everybody, everybody's betting on the favorites now. Okay, so let the number go up. You know, it's gone from three and a hook to four. It'll go to four and a hook, maybe to five. All right, then go to your friendly neighborhood sports book, whichever one you, you partake, and put your money, the betting line, on Cincinnati, and the over, because I do think it'll be a track meet, because Burrow's going to make it a track meet. Uh, Cincinnati's wide receiving core, much more difficult to deal with than San Francisco's, in my view. The Rams do have the better, obviously, the better talent defensively. Donald and those guys will be hard for Cincinnati to deal with. But, hell, they couldn't put more pressure on him than he got yesterday from Kansas City. I mean, they really couldn't. And he, he stood up to that. Cincinnati not only covers, they went out. They went it straight up. And that would be Timmy B advocating you go to the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas or any William Hill Sportsbook, <laughs> proud sponsors of the T.C. Martin Show. And even you, Timmy B, and Danny Sheridan can go to the William Hill Sportsbook <laughs> and use the promo code TC50, and they will go ahead and match your, your deposit of a minimum of $50, Timmy B. Use that promo code right. TC50. There you go. There you go. There you go. Yes. Yes. Uh, your buddy, Danny Sheridan, we had him on. I had him on my show when I was doing Hoops and Hops. Every year I do Hoops and Hops at the uh-huh. Cosmopolitan. We have 4,000 screaming idiots. We have about 12 to 20 betting stations right up there. And your boy, Danny Sheridan, was on the show with me, Hoops and Hops, on that opening Thursday of March Madness. Yeah, he was there a couple of years ago. Your buddy. He, he's, a, he's a great guy. I love Danny. We've known each other, gosh, for 40 years. Uh, Mobile, Alabama's finest. Uh, he's <laughs> I, there, he, he's the one guy that I know has has put more uh, hair dye on than I have. <laughs> That's, I, okay. I don't I don't need to be hearing that. And I, uh, he's been, he actually has colored his hair more than I've colored mine. Yes, yes. I, I can I can attest to that. I know that to be true. Yes, um, 
L- looks a little different now without the mustache, though, don't you think? Yeah, he's yeah. Got a whole, whole different true. look now. Yeah, Danny Sheridan yeah, loves the Cosmopolitan. He's he's a frequent visitor at the Cosmopolitan. He he loves it. Uh, he's a good man. He's, he's my guy. Danny, Danny's a good man, and and let me tell you something. He's he said he's had some of the great picks ever in the history of sports. That's, mm. I mean, uh, it's a matter of record. Uh, I think. You know, more consistently, anyway, uh, than anybody else I know of. All right, Tim Brando, as we get ready for March Madness, I know you're just kind of like you're, you're you're chilling right now. You're kind of you're, you're kind of waiting in that stall, and then they're going to start right. releasing the horses. Everything here coming up in a couple well, of weeks. You're ready to go, man. They're springing me this week. I'm going to Purdue. I'm going to see the Boilermakers. Where are they today? Do they rank them in the top four after that win against Ohio State, or are they still around five or six? I, you they know, were, I haven't they seen. They, I, they got they got to be in the top five. They have to be. Very impressive performance. I think they've got to be top yeah, five. Yeah, but man, they almost choked that game away, Timmy B. They did. I mean, Ohio State made a great run at them late. What you're seeing in college basketball is all these great teams, Gonzaga included, all right, Auburn included. Uh, they, they There are a lot of really, really good teams out there, but none of them – are unbeatable. You know what I mean? All of them can be beaten. They all have warts. Uh, Purdue has two of the best big men you'll find in Zach Eady and Travion Williams, and on occasion they'll play a high-low game on the floor at the same time. Uh, Stefanovic is a great outside shooter, but they don't have a true point guard. Uh, Ivy, who has buried Ohio State now with, with buzzer beaters in consecutive years, had to pull that rabbit out of a hat after they had blown an 18-point lead yesterday. Okay, so that tells you something about how good Ohio State is, how well-coached they are, but also how vulnerable even Purdue is. And I think Matt Painter's team is the best team I've seen. They've got everything you want, okay, size, speed, inside-outside game, but they don't have a game manager at point guard late. They had trouble against pressure. They turned it over against a number of traps, uh, inbounds passes stolen, big three, you know, a six-point swing down the stretch. That happened to them. Uh, and, and you could find that at Auburn, too. You know, as good as they are with Kessler, another seven-footer, a lot of guys that can run the floor in transition. But if you bog them down and force them to play slow, you know, their half-court offense just isn't that good. Um, you know, Gonzaga's got, you know, issues, too. On occasion, they'll play a team that is too athletic for them on the wings. They lack the, the the athletic style that you need with teams like, for instance, Baylor a year ago when the guys playing small forward and power forward were just quicker than their guys. That happens to Mark Few's team on occasion. So uh, it's, it's really important to watch these games in every league coming up. I think the uh, the Big 12 SEC Big East and Big Ten are just monster conferences. Uh, you know, as many as nine teams out of the Big Ten could go. Uh, you know, the, the the Big Twelve, which everyone thinks is great, got beat again in the in the SEC Big Twelve Challenge. So the Southeastern Conference is not just a football league. That's obvious. Pac twelve is really good at the top, not so good in the middle and the back end. Uh, and I, I still believe the Zags are the best team out West, mm-hmm. even even with UCLA and, and USC playing so well and with, with great athletes. Oregon can't be discounted either. Dana Altman's team is always good late, uh, and his team's always evolved into something special. Um, 
it's just going to be so much fun to watch. This week I'm doing, as I said, Purdue and Michigan on yeah. Saturday at uh, 3.30 Eastern, so it'll be 1.30 out your, or 12.30 out your way. And then um, uh, I'll go to St. John's in Villanova uh, the week after that on the 8th and 9th. I've got back-to-back games uh, there, uh, Seton, Seton Hall and Xavier, right after I have St. John's in Villanova on Tuesday. I get hooked up with Raft for those games oh, that's on great. the 8th and 9th. So that'll be fun to be back with uh, the governor, <laughs> Onions. That's so uh, we'll it. have a lot of fun those nights. Man, we're gonna be we'll be watching Tim. I mean, I, I I'd love to tag along, man. I mean, you got a plus one just to get in the building. Uh, These games that you're calling I, Michigan, I, I, Purdue, I, I, um, Saturday, and then the Big I, East. I really don't it. think, honest to God, don't think your liver could take it. Yeah. I really don't. <laughs> That's true. You were stuck with Raft and me. I'm not so sure that you could handle that. Uh, you, you would be in your hotel room the next day until three in the afternoon. Well, I know one thing, man. <laughs> I, 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 I could talk some onions and hear some onions and then have some onions and have some French onion soup afterwards with you guys. That's what it's all about. <laughs> onions. All right, brother. Timmy B, we appreciate you as always, man. Uh, we're going to catch up with you during the course of this uh, madness as well, too. So let's. Uh, so long. As the old as the old broadcaster used to say, so long for this time, until this time next time. Bye, everybody. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> Thanks a lot, brother. Appreciate you. He is the legend, Tim Brando, with Fox Sports calling the college basketball. Great stuff. When we come back, Matt Holt's going to join us. Kevin Kruger, the head coach at UNLV. That and a whole lot more coming your way on this manic or magnificent Monday. Call it what you want. Entertainment capital of the world. It's the T.C. Martin Show. It's been a great third down defense the last two weeks. For Steelers. And they've got an interception. And a run back. All the way home. It's Belaine with the touchdown on the pick six. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor. T.C. Martin. Mahomes drifting. Downfield. Intercepted. His first of the season, Jeff Heath. Hour number two on this Monday, recapping a very busy, wild, crazy championship Sunday. We start talking about that again and uh, give you an update again with the Raiders holding their press conference today over in Henderson, announcing the tag team coming over from New England. Dave Ziegler is the general manager. He was the Patriots director of player personnel. He is now the general manager of the Las Vegas Raiders. And Josh McDaniels, the offensive coordinator under Bill Belichick, has six Super Bowl titles as an OC underneath him. Well, all smiles today in Raiderland as Mark Davis just concluded his press conference uh, with Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler. We can uh, start calling this, I don't know, what, uh, Patriots West now? I don't know. Man. Uh, interesting stuff. All right. We talked in hour number one about the records of the Bill Belichick disciples who, underneath his tree, not very impressive at all. And when you look at that, you got career head coaching records of seven former Bill Belichick assistants Bill O'Brien, 52 and 48, Eric Mangini, 33 and 47. Romeo Cronell, 32 and 63. Brian Flores, 24 and 25. Matt Patricia, 
13-29-1. Josh McDaniels, your new head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders, 11-17. and And then Joe Judge, who was just dismissed by the Giants a couple weeks ago, 10-23. and uh, You add all that up, those seven former Belichick assistants who went on to be head coaches, their head coaching records, 175 wins, 252 losses in one tie. Wow. That is not good. And and this is what I've always said. It just drives me nuts that you want to go after the quote-unquote hot assistant, okay? Or the assistant who may be able to lead an offensive unit or a defensive unit for a championship team or a perennial playoff team does not necessarily mean that they have the leadership skills or going to be able to translate into being a successful head coach. And clearly... With all seven of these underneath Bill Belichick, it has not worked. It hasn't worked for one of them. The guy with the best record is Bill O'Brien at Houston, and that's fifty-two and forty-eight. And now Bill O'Brien's you no know, went back to the college game. You know, was at Penn State. He was at, now he's at Alabama. It hasn't worked out well at all. And then you look at what Josh McDaniel did in Denver. Two seasons in Denver, eleven and seventeen. I don't understand it, and I know a lot of Raider fans are not going to understand it as well, too. You failed in Denver. What makes you think that he is going to be successful here with the Raiders? All right, so we'll dive into all that, too, as well. Uh, Kevin Kruger is going to join us at the bottom of the hour. We talk UNLV hoops as UNLV coming off that huge win Friday night at Colorado State, and now they take on UNR, Reno, so... Get over to the MAC, Thomas the MAC Center, tomorrow night, 7.30 p.m. as UNLV takes on Nevada. So let's uh, let's get out there and support those Rebels coming off a big, impressive victory on Friday night. All right, let's get back to the football talk and talk to our good friend, Matthew Holt, U.S. Integrity. My man, what is happening, brother? Jeez, what a weekend. I mean, both football games are amazing again. And look in the ESPN Power Rankings column today, Kentucky Wildcats, my alma mater, the team of the week. And how about the UNLV Rebels? Uh, what a win. And after that amazing win over Colorado State, Bryce Hamilton, the National Player of the Week, first player in D1 to put up 45 points, five rebounds, five and assists in the same game since Trey Young. Man, a lot happening here at Vegas, my man. Yeah, absolutely correct. I mean, uh, Bryce Hamilton had a wonderful game, and I always you know, use the term that Bryce Hamilton can shoot you in a game and can shoot you out of a game, and he definitely shot the Rebels into that game, and they, they built an early 20-point lead at Colorado State, and they just hit the Rams – uh, just right up the side of the head early on. So I was very happy to see UNLV. And they covered Matt getting plus 14. It was never in doubt. That win by 14, yes. getting 14. Just an amazing win. So happy for them. And to your point, I mean, Bryce Hamilton, one of those guys that could put up some amazing performances, and he certainly did this past weekend. And what about the Kentucky Wildcats, my alma mater, going down to Kansas? Tough place to win there. They get the job done. Big-time win. Wildcats may be uh, aiming for a number one seed here. You know, Matt, I had your Wildcats plus five on Saturday, my man, so I was all over that. I was all over it. There you go, go, TC. 
Well, you know how I am. Man. You see, once the page turns for me, once we get to like the end of January, boom, then I start turning the page to the college basketball. And I really loved this weekend because it didn't have to be anywhere, go anywhere. I get to sit home for the championship games on Sunday, and that means I got to just be just dive into so many college basketball games. You know, going back Friday night, Saturday, and even Sunday before the football games. So yeah, I've uh, officially you know turned my Turn the page, man, and I, it's, I, I'm back into my college uh, uh, basketball swing, and that's good for you because you and I love talking college hoops, and you know we're going to be at Hoops and Hops of the Cosmopolitan, so be prepared, my man. Oh, are they doing it at the Chelsea again this year? No, no, no. Going back to the uh, to the ballroom, the Belmont Ballroom, for 4,000 screaming maniacs like it used to be, my man, upstairs. Oh, my goodness. Back it to the Belmont. Mayhem down there. Yeah. <laughs> last year we had to relegate it to the Chelsea, but, uh, yeah, uh, you know, for COVID purposes, we're going back to the Belmont. So there it is, my man. We'll have you there, and you know we'll be broadcasting live. So we got to pencil you in. I'll be down. Yeah, I'll be down for sure. Although – Give Brian and crew credit. What a job they did at the Chelsea. They actually made it a really fun place to go. Absolutely was. No question. All right, my friend, let's talk some football. And before we get into yesterday's championship uh, Sunday, give me a quick take. Uh, You've been following the news. Raiders holding the press conference earlier today. uh, Just concluded as uh, Dave Ziegler is your general manager. Josh McDaniels, your head coach. Uh, What say you, Matt? Because you've got some New England ties. I think the Raiders should be really excited. So I'm super excited. As a, I mean, I'm a little bit bummed out as a Patriots fan that McDaniels is leaving. Look, he never got a fair crack in Denver. Imagine Tim Tebow's your starting quarterback. That can't happen. I mean, you can't have Tim Tebow as your starting quarterback and have your offenses judged uh, with any sort of accuracy. At the end of the day here, I think we're going to finally get to see what Josh McDaniels can do with a capable quarterback, some capable players around him, and is that offense really humming because of Josh Daniels? And I'm interested to see it, and I actually think he's going to do a good job. I know the Pats assistants don't have the best record. You know, All the Belichick assistants don't have the best record out on their own, but I actually am optimistic about Josh McDaniels and excited to see what this offense looks like next year. Well, he is taking over a team that you know was number five seed, made it to the playoffs. You can say what you want about Derek Carr, and I, I got to believe that McDaniel's you know wants to work with Carr, and may, maybe this will be a good thing. But you know, Carr has one year left on his contract. I know a lot of fans are thinking, okay, when you get a new GM and you get a new head coach, hey, they're going to blow things up. I don't see that happening with the Raiders because the Raiders. They got a lot of veterans, and then you know, as you know very well too, when you start talking about blowing things up, then you're talking about you know cap space and contracts, and it's not that easy to do. And the Raiders got some heavy contracts still, so I'm sure that you know Mark Davis said, "Hey, this is uh, this is the cupboard here. Okay, it's not bare, and maybe it's not necessarily full, but you got some some pretty good groceries here right now to deal with." So I know that. Uh, you know, the Raiders are going to want to score well in the draft. And, you know, they have not, you know, basically hit well in the draft during the Mike Mayock uh, regime. So I think that's where Ziegler is going to have to prove that he can get it done. And it'll be interesting to see what McDaniels brings from an offensive perspective here, and especially dealing with Carr. Yeah, you know, my fear is, and I don't want to say fear for McDaniels. Obviously, he'd love to get some more offensive weapons as an offensive guy, but with so many holes on that defensive side of the football, I have a feeling they're going to go defense uh, 
Um, but let's face it, the second half of the year, that Raiders offense was anemic. They need to get some more weapons for Derek Carr, and they need to get an offensive line that can run block because this team was built to run the football. So I'll be interested to see where they go in the draft as well. But I'm actually a little more optimistic about Josh Daniels than most people, and just because I don't think he got a fair crack in Denver, because what can you do with an offense when Tim Tebow's your quarterback? Yeah. All right, Matthew Holt uh, joins us talking about the Raiders' uh, situation here. And again, they make it official today where Josh McDaniels is the head coach and Dave Ziegler is the general manager, both coming over from New England, and Ziegler was the Patriots director of player personnel. All right, Matt, pretty exciting stuff. And, you know, like we talked about last week, we had four games that went down to the final possession, you know, had an overtime game mixed in there as well, too. And then now this week, you got two more games. Uh, So five out of the last six playoff games that we've seen here the last two weekends went down to the final play. That's unheard of. And then when you go to the Niners and the Rams game, it didn't go down to the final play, but it went down to the final possession uh, where Garoppolo threw the interception. The Rams had a couple kneel down, kneel diamonds, and then boom, it was done. But talk about what we've seen, not only on the football field, but at the sports books the last two weekends. I'll tell you, the books are having one of their best playoff runs ever. I mean, historically, although the NFL is known for having more parity, especially throughout the regular season than most of the other leagues, um, especially the NBA. The NBA tends to be a very chalk-heavy league throughout the playoffs. Normally, look, we've seen the NFL. It tends to be one or two seeds in the Super Bowl for the most part. This has been one of those years, those TC, where we have just seen upset after upset after upset. Underdogs again 2-0 and this week against the spread, 2-0 and to the under. That's always good. And you and I talked about it last week, how high this total on Kansas City, Cincinnati, it opened 54, 54 and a half. People betting it even higher than that. And then a line that we didn't think would go over seven. I mean, Cincinnati had just beaten this team last time, has such a dynamic offense. I was seeing a lot of seven and a halfs over the weekend, TC, as public money just poured in on the Kansas City Chiefs. And here we go again. Cincinnati just pulls the upset, killing every teaser, basically. So right out of the bat, all the people that like to tease Cincinnati, I mean, Kansas City from seven to one or seven and a half to one, all those teasers were dead. I mean, the books just had such a big weekend. Um, We'll see how they do in the Super Bowl, but barring a disaster in the Super Bowl, I have a feeling that many sports sports books are going to report their best NFL postseason in at least 20 years. Yeah, I totally agree. And that's just coming off the news that we heard last week where the the numbers were amazing uh, with the total handle for 2021, uh, you know, at the sports books. And then, like you said, this football season has been amazing. It's been fantastic. And again, anytime that you have this type of drama, I mean, week in and week out, not only is it good at the books, but it's good for television ratings. It's it's just good for the sport in general. And I know a lot of people, Matt, will say, well, you get a team like the Cincinnati Bengals and the Rams, and you know, from a television perspective, maybe it might not do that big because you know, sure, the Rams have you know, they're, they're L.A. They got the great market size, but as we know, the Rams just they're. It's not like New York Giants, or it's not like you know, uh, you know, some of these other major cities like the Chicago Bears that we're looking at here. The Rams, 
They didn't play there for 20 years, and they're having problems filling their own building, as we saw again yesterday with the 49ers, where it was like 50-50 split. So it may not look really appealing to maybe the average or the casual fan, but once we get down into it and we start breaking it down, we should have ourselves a hell of a Super Bowl, don't you think? And at the end of the day, the Super Bowl is one of the few events that is 100% team-proof. It does not matter who plays in the Super Bowl. It is, it's almost a national holiday. People get together for it. They plan to do stuff on it. It's almost irrelevant who's running. And I compare it to the Kentucky Derby, which is the only other event during the year that I think is almost completely athlete-proof in terms of what horses are running. Nobody cares that when they make their plans to go to the Kentucky Derby, no one's saying, oh, you know, I want to see Jack Christopher this year versus Montemago. You know, they don't even know the names of the horses. They just want to go to the Kentucky Derby. It's another one of those national pastimes. Well, the Super Bowl at this time might as well, you know, it might as well be considered a national holiday at this point. It doesn't matter who plays in it. The numbers are going to be off the charts. And now with 33 states with legal sports betting, these numbers are going to be record-breaking. Yep, there's no doubt about it. Now, when you look at Cincinnati, and this is a team that, you know, has a following. They have fans. You go back to the Boomer Esiason days, you know, back in the 80s, but it's been a long time, and a lot of younger fans, you know, they don't even remember those days with the Cincinnati Bengals. But Joe Burrow, as your quarterback, even though it's only his second year and he missed the majority of the season last year due to an injury, I mean, this guy has really made a name for himself. He seems calm. He seems cool. And then he has this little swag to him as well, too. And you go back to his time at LSU where he won that national championship, that undefeated LSU team. I mean, that actually seems to really have prepared this guy for having the success that he's had early on. When you see Joe Burrow and now you, you pair him with Jamar Chase and the Cincinnati Bengals, what are your thoughts about this franchise? Welcome to superstardom, Joe Burrows. Unbelievable. And I was reading either the first or one of the one of the few players ever to win a national championship, win a Heisman, and now potentially win a Super Bowl. I think if he accomplishes all three, maybe the first to do it. Uh, just simply amazing. This guy is an absolute superstar now. It's a name we're going to talk about all the time, every single year. And basically, we may he may have already been a superstar prior to this postseason, if not for the fact that he got hurt so bad last year, tearing his ACL, missing all that time. But if we all remember, before he went out, he was a deadlock for Rookie of the Year. He was just absolutely on fire, had surpassed even the most opportunistic or optimistic expectations of where he would be. Uh, I think Joe Burrow is a superstar now and, and is only going to continue to climb that superstardom ladder. And look, with Tom Brady retiring, and we don't know what's going on with Aaron Rodgers, and how many more years does he have? So no Big Ben, he's retiring. Tom Brady's retiring. It's time that the torch, that spotlight, national spotlight torch, is actually passed on to some of these young quarterbacks. And I think Joe Burrows is right there with Pat Mahomes grabbing that torch and bringing us to the next wave of of young superstars that we're going to watch for a decade. Yeah, and the other guy you should probably throw in there is really equivalent to Joe Burrow is Justin Herbert. And, you know, you look at these two guys, both young guns, uh, very poised for their age. And, you know, seeing both of these guys play in person, Matt, what really impressed me was their accuracy. I was blown away at, at both of these young quarterbacks, how accurate they are. 
Uh, and especially neither one of those teams, Herbert with the Chargers and Burrow with the Bengals, not behind a solid offensive line at all. And to see Burrow do it the way he did against Tennessee last week, getting sacked nine times, and he was under a lot of pressure from the Chiefs as well, it did not matter. Second half, he took over. Unbelievable, though. I mean, to be down 21-3 to on the road in January in Kansas City against arguably the best quarterback in football right now at Pat Mahomes, and to rally back, wow. I mean, that says a lot. I mean, both games yesterday, both teams were down double digits and rallied late, but I think 21-3 to for the Bengals on the road in Kansas City, known as one of the loudest, most difficult stadiums to go on the road and win, and you spot the other team a 21-3 lead and come back and get it done. That's all you need to know about Joe Burrow right there. Yeah, and that Arrowhead Stadium, man, it was eerily quiet in the fourth quarter, especially in the overtime when you knew that the Bengals were going to come down and either get in the end zone or kick that field goal in overtime after Kansas City, you know, turned it over after two plays in the overtime after winning the coin toss. I mean, it was it was crazy. You know, the big story here though is also the collapse and. Who do you think had the bigger collapse yesterday? Was it Pat Mahomes in Kansas City or Jimmy Garoppolo in the Niners? I think it was Garoppolo a little bit because you saw this one coming. I mean, we it should almost happened in the Dallas game. I mean, the, I, they almost blew that huge lead. and They didn't really win that game. He played terrible in the Green Bay game. It's just that they blocked a field goal and blocked a punt for a touchdown. When they had that lead and – and, and you saw Garoppolo get the ball in the fourth quarter. He looked like a deer, you know, and in headlights there, and then it just got ugly. And you could see it coming. What made the Kansas City one, I think, maybe more shocking, but the entire time you kept thinking the Chiefs were still going to win. Like, oh, here we go. Mahomes leaves them down, kicks the field goal to tie, going to OT. Oh, my goodness, Chiefs win the toss. That one felt over. It was a little bit shocking to see the interception and then have the Bengals come down and score. But you could almost see the other one coming, and you watched it with this pain for Jimmy Garoppolo, whether you like him or not, like, oh, he's going to do it again. He is going to stink it up. They are going to blow it. And you, you could just see it play by play happening really slow. And it was almost tough to watch if you're a Jimmy G fan. Yeah, but, you know, earlier in that game when the Niners had that 17-7 to lead, I mean, you just had the feeling that it was like, okay, the Niners are doing their thing. They're running the ball effectively. They're, they're, they're being physical with the Rams. And it didn't seem like, okay, here we go again. I mean, this looks like they're going to have their seventh straight victory over the Rams. And then when Tart dropped the you know easy interception, I mean easy interception, to me that – that just it turned everything. Stafford went down, even though they didn't get in the end zone that possession, but extended the drive and they got the field goal to tie it up. But I mean, it just had this sense that at that point in time, the game switched. Yeah, it sure did. But I mean, they didn't do anything in the fourth quarter. You have to remember right. they had a 17 7 lead in the ball, the Niners. Yes. And it was three and out, turnover, turnover. It just got ugly quick. Yeah. All right, we look forward to the Super Bowl coming up on February the 13th. we got two weeks to, to hype this out. Uh, thoughts, Matt, on when you saw the line open last night with the Rams a three-and-a-half-point favorite? I was a little bit surprised because the one time where we do see public action come in early sometimes is on the Super Bowl. 
And the fact that the Rams, I mean, Matthew Stafford's not a superstar. He's not a tier one superstar. And I feel like Joe Burrow is rapidly becoming a tier one superstar. But despite all that love for Joe Burrow and and the fact that the Rams, again, they only scored 20 points in the win, that line opened three, three and a half at most places with a couple of minus three, minus 120s, and it went to four pretty quick. So I could tell you that most of the early money was all on the L.A. Rams. Yeah, I think it was a little bit shocking for some people to think that, okay, this line is only three and a half. I thought it opened a little bit higher, like maybe even four and a half or so, maybe even a five. And uh, I think that's what a lot of the the sharp guys were thinking. It's like, okay, let me jump on this right now. And uh, it'll be interesting to see where this thing goes as, uh, you know, everyone starts diving into different angles and matchups and that sort of thing. But uh, how rare is it for people to to bet a Super Bowl this early? It's a little bit rare. I I will say it's a little bit rare because you can get such fluctuation and there's such public waves. No matter what, there's always going to be public waves. So a lot of times we see sharps come in and try to time some of those public waves to make sure they're getting the best number either way that they want. There was a lot of early action yesterday, and I think it's interesting we're seeing so many sports books now sort of catalog and categorize, well, these 100 props will come out Wednesday, these 100 will come out Friday, these 300 will come out next Monday. I really think that's going to be advantageous for the betters, especially the sharp ones, to be able to do their homework, focus on the subsets of only 100 or 200 wagers at a time, go through them, wait for them to come open. I think we're going to see big betting handle each wave of new props that open as the Sharps only have to prepare to bet 100 or 200 props. Then they prepare for the, for the next wave, prepare for the next wave, etc. I think it's actually going to mean a big boost for betting handle, and I'm excited to see what it does. You know, I'm glad you brought that up because I and mean, we'll touch uh, with this uh, a little bit in, in more detail uh, in the next couple of weeks. But since you brought it up, I remember those days when you would be in the office and you were having to set these props and, and deal with these lines and that sort of thing. That seemed like a major undertaking. Talk a little bit about the stuff that you had to do. And like I said, we'll go into more detail like next week. But, you know, I remember you being hunkered down in the office trying to sift through all of these things and putting together, you know, 300 or so props. I'll say this, though, TC. We never had the advanced analytic outsourced teams that all these sportsbook operators. Now, all these companies didn't exist. Now there's 15, 20 companies out there that do really, really extensive advanced analytics, and you could pull up anything you want. You just type in the info you want. It pops up right in front of your computer screen. So it takes you less research to put it, you know, to figure out each prop. And because, because there's so much more analytics at your fingertips now, you're able to put out more props faster, put out more props and more confidence. And instead of a sports book putting out 100 or 200 now, we will easily see some sports books put out 1,200, 1,500 props for the Super Bowl. Insane. That's a lot of paper if you're going to print those things out there. That's a lot of paper. <laughs> I think you're going to see less and less of the old printouts they yeah. use because at this point it's a book. Yeah, exactly. 
All right, he is Matthew Holt, uh, U.S. Integrity, talking NFL Championship Sunday yesterday, and again the Bengals and the Rams. We got two weeks to hype this thing up here. Uh, what do you think, Matt? Does this does it live up to the hype? I do. I think because of all the new states that have opened, because of all the new props, because of all the new analytics, uh, because of the ease of in-play on some of these newer apps, I think it's not just going to break records nationally. It's going to shatter them. And we could be looking at a game. You know, we used to say, oh, my goodness, the game did $1.5 billion nationally or $3 billion. I think we could be looking at our first 10 billion dollar game wow amazing all right and we know we got a uh, a halftime show that is uh, uh, going to be pretty impressive as well too again it's in la so i mean you've got uh, a lot of the heavy hitters coming out and you talk about how this is you know uh you know a, a big event like i said kentucky derby and all that the halftime show is big for a lot of people as well too matt like i said i, w- I always call the super bowl the biggest pseudo event in history. It doesn't matter if you're a football fan or not. I mean, you're having your house parties, you're doing whatever, you're, you're tailoring everything towards, you know, that three and a half or four hours. So it's going to be crazy, man. I can tell you that one of the props in Vegas will not be Will Snoop Dogg be smoking weed and happy. Yeah, this is true. That'd be off the board, right? It'd be like, like minus, you know, 3,000, right? Yeah. There you go. All right, brother. Appreciate the time as always. We'll talk Thank to you, you next week. There he is. Matthew Holt joins us. Snoop Dogg, Eminem, Dr. Dre, Mary J. Blige, Kendrick Lamar. See, not so much with him, but yeah, not bad, not bad. And the promo, if you've seen the commercial, I almost retweeted that out last week when when it came out. It's it's pretty nice. When we come back, Kevin Kruger joins us, the head coach at UNLV, coming off their biggest win of the season on Friday night. And then the rivalry game taking place tomorrow against UNR. Now, more of your favorite personal sports physician. Don't make me big. T.C. Martin. Of course, you are a character. Doesn't mean that you have character. The doctor is now in. All right, don't forget, back at the Cosmopolitan in Las Vegas on Friday, each and every Friday from 2 to 4 p.m. And uh, we start hyping up the Super Bowl, even though we don't have any football this weekend. We do have the Pro Bowl here in Las Vegas. Oh, the NHL All-Star Game, too, by the way, at T-Mobile Arena. So we'll be a very busy weekend. And we got boxing at the Mandalay Bay. Yeah, Fox Pay-Per-View. Mario Berrios taking on Keith Thurman. So very exciting weekend. So come on out, see the show live. Each and every Friday, 2 to 4 p.m. at the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas. And, of course, we start working our way towards March Madness. And telling you, that calendar's already flipped for me because we've been seeing some very impressive basketball lately, including the Rebels Friday night with a huge win. And now we talk to the head coach, Kevin Kruger, as we play a little soundtrack from Pulp Fiction. I got to know, is my man Kevin Kruger a Pulp Fiction guy? I have seen it, but it has been a while. (laughs) I know, after all, it was 1994. But, Kevin, as you know, it's it's played like every night on, you know, HBO, Showtime, whatever. So, you know, some of your late nights, if you're going through the remote control when you can, you know, put down like your game film and stuff, you know. <laughs> yeah. Because you are a TV yeah. guy, as, as we have talked about before. I mean, you do spend night. But, see, I know, I know where we're going with this. See, he's spending time with the wife and the kids, and maybe Pulp Fiction is is not on your playlist on your TV. 
Yeah, wife's not a big fan of uh, blood and guts, so uh, Quentin Tarantino doesn't make a lot of appearances in our house. <laughs> oh, shame! Shame on her. We, we're gonna have to straighten. Yeah. We're gonna straighten her out. You know, <laughs> come on. <laughs> I'll, I'll let you try that one. Yeah, that right. wasn't me. That's it. Yeah. All right, my friend. Hey, congratulations! Uh, Friday night, Colorado State, eighty-eight seventy-four victory on the road. Very impressive. You guys jumped out early. And uh, I, I will say this, Kevin, and you, you don't shy away from it. You guys were a 14-and-a-half-point underdog, and you win by 14. You made a lot of people that bet on the Rebels very, very happy and stress-free, my friend. I can tell you that we like stress-free bets. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I'm glad <laughs> that uh, we could make Rebel fans happy. <laughs> yeah, you made them happy for the win, the cover, everything, and, and, and the blowout. And we know going into this game that – you were shorthanded. You had been, you know, for for a while. I mean, the San Diego State game the week before, or rather, you know, days before, and then, uh, you know, I think you only had what eight or nine really active guys going into the game Friday night. Isn't that right? Yeah, it is. And uh, but the guys have continued to fight. I think uh, you know, San Diego State um, with with Donovan being out, uh, it was a little more surprising. So things were kind of thrown on him a little quicker, but. You know, they just, we just didn't really play the way we wanted to Monday in San Diego. And I think as much as anything, they were they were itching to get back out and, and just show people and show Rebel fans that, that you know, they were they were guys that played hard. And they were the guys that were going to represent UNLV uh, with a little more fight and a little more intent than we did. You know, seriously, a lot of credit, you know, goes to you and your staff because – Arguably, you go on this road trip, and not easy. I mean, you're going to San Diego, then you're going up to the cold, the mountains, you're going to Colorado State, and both teams at the top of the Mountain West Conference. You lose by 25 to San Diego State, and then, you know, look how hot Colorado State was. I mean, outside of Boise, you could say the Colorado State, you know, those are the two you know, you know, hottest teams in the Mountain West Conference or in the country, and you go up there, Kevin, and, you know, I know they had a good crowd up there and everything, but you took it to these guys early, and it was, it was an amazing, you know, turnaround from what you guys did on Monday night. And I, you know, kudos to you. What was said, what was done in between, you know, those three and four days from after the game at San Diego State to leading up to the game, but when you took the floor at Colorado State? Yeah, I think uh, you know we this uh, past few weeks is is a little unprecedented for a lot of guys in college basketball because you usually don't play five games in a ten day or an eleven day stretch in college, and you certainly don't play four of them on the road. And uh, you know that was something we addressed. We just said, guys, it, it is what it, you know the conference wants it to be. They rescheduled the games regardless of of uh, days off or in between or where you had to travel to and. We were assured at the time that everyone was going to have to do it. So, you know, we we didn't spend any time, you know, complaining about it. We, had, you know, we we went in and prepared the best we could, played the games, and I just I think though that the day off after San Diego State they were able to have was kind of an opportunity for for them to get kind of catch their breath a little bit. And uh, you know, again, I think it just went back to those two days in practice were were kind of geared toward. You know, just playing hard. Just go swing away. We knew Colorado State was rolling, and there's no, there's nothing, no reason to, you know, hang your head going into Colorado State playing hard and losing. And I think the guys almost played with a, a certain kind of sense of freedom. Of yeah, we we just got to try hard and see what happens. And uh, they went out and 
played really hard, and I think they got some confidence early, and it kind of ended up carrying over for 40 minutes. Yeah, you built the lead to 18 at halftime. Like I said, jumped out you know early, up uh, as many as uh, 20, and then you never took your foot off the gas. And a lot of times in these games, we see some ebbs and flows where a team will have a big lead, and then they'll lose the lead. And we saw that in, in a couple games over the weekend. But in your game on Friday night, that was not the case. And and what was the key to that? I mean, were you what were you saying to these guys? You know, during during the TV timeouts and the huddles, and even even at halftime, because it looked like it was very very consistent for forty minutes. Well, we just kept challenging them. I mean, the Colorado State came out in the second half and kind of showed what they can do offensively uh, if if you let them kind of be comfortable and move freely. And and they they scored. I think uh, I mean it might have been fifteen points in three or four minutes. Right. And uh, uh, but we we were able to answer offensively. But the the challenge was just every time out was guys they're not going to go away. Hmm. You know, it's guy it's a zero zero mentality. It, this thing can turn quickly. And uh, we got to get good stops and, and clean rebounds, and and the guys took it to heart. They were talking in timeouts and huddles, and and re- really kind of uh, were on the same page. You know, it was just about making Colorado State work as hard as they could for each bucket, and if they don't, uh, getting good clean rebounds, and then getting a good offensive possession the other way. You know, David Roddy is one of their 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 big guys, their go to guys, averaging you know eighteen points a game coming into this contest, and uh, you definitely uh, did a great job uh, on him. Uh, was that part of the focus? And, and what are your thoughts of, uh, uh, about Roddy and this Colorado State team? Well, I mean, my, I think the world of Roddy. I think the world of Coach Medved, their their team as a whole. If you watch them, they 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 play team basketball. They share it. Um, they've got a bunch of really good players, and but they're all in sync. You know, they're all on the same page. Um, they're they're fluid offensively and reading each other. And you know, it's kind of one of the things we aspire to do is you know have everybody on the same page, making plays for each other. But when you got guys like Roddy and Stevens that you got to prepare for, uh, you just kind of got to let them know early as much as you can that you're gonna you're gonna fight and you're gonna compete. And you know, they might beat you, but you got to just. And kind of just let it be known that your intent's going to be to make them work for everything they can. And I mean, Bryce has his game, or else you know everyone's talking about Stevens having 35. Right. And you know he had a heck of a night, and we let him get going a little bit in the second half. But you know, anytime you're preparing for a team like Colorado State, there's uh, there's almost not enough time and not enough things you can you can point out because they do so many things so well. We get news today that uh, Bryce Hamilton was actually the national player of the week. 45 points, but also impressive. Seven rebounds, five assists as well, too. Uh, Kevin, this guy, as we know, I mean, he can he can be lights on and, and, and shoot you right into game, and he did that right away. But uh, talk a little bit about, about Bryce Hamilton and uh, the maturity level that you're seeing with him as this season progresses. Yeah, and, I, and not just scoring. Uh, obviously, it was as you know, it's career high. But I thought Bryce was as engaged and uh, and aware defensively as any game he's had as a rebel. He was uh, creating doubt. Um, he was making the guys he was guarding hesitant. Which you know, we, we switch a lot of things, so you got to know the, a number of guys and what they do and and what their tendencies are. But he's uh, he was awesome. He was he was great on both ends of the ball. Um, he, he was great late, you know, getting the ball, protecting it, shooting free throws. But you know, he got some going early, and and I think Bryce is a is a guy that 
you know, we love we love to put it, try to our best to put him in space with an advantage because from there he can just kind of go make things happen. Kevin Kruger joins us, a UNLV head coach, and the Rebels coming off very impressive uh, win, probably the best of the season as they beat Colorado State going back Friday night, eighty-eight to seventy-four. All right, that sets the table for tomorrow night's game, Kevin, as uh, Reno comes to town. So I don't think we've ever talked uh, about this before. So are you? Calling them Nevada? Are you calling them Reno? Are they UNR to you? What what are they with you and in your locker room? Um, it's always been Reno. Yeah, um, and I don't. I, to be honest, I've never even asked anybody. I don't know if it, is it University of Nevada at Reno or is it just Nevada. I, I'm not to be 100 percent honest. I'm not sure, <laughs> but I know we're in Nevada at Las Vegas, and so we go by UNLV, and we just kind of call them Reno and. And go from there. <laughs> I know that's been a big thing, you know, around here. People, are, oh, we're not calling them Nevada. It doesn't represent the state. It's Reno. It's always Reno. You know, UNR or Reno. So there you go. And and I know that uh, you know uh, some of your predecessors would not refer to them as Nevada. They would say, nope, they're Reno. So I just kind of wanted to get your take on that. So you straighten that out. <laughs> All right. So Tuesday night, uh, to, uh, let's talk a little bit about this game. I watched them play Utah State at the Lawler Event Center, and they got blasted. I mean, they were never in this game. And it was kind of like what you guys did to Colorado State. That's what Utah State uh, did to Reno. Um, and they have been sliding a little bit. So when you look at these guys, I don't know you know, how much you watched of that game, but what is your take on these guys? Well, it's funny. I thought you were going to say what verbatim what we told our guys, but you kind you went our direction. Um I kind of compared it to exactly what we went through at San Diego State. Okay, and uh, you know we didn't we didn't play great. San Diego State came out and popped us in the mouth and and went on to win handily. And we bounced back. Our guys bounced back. And and I, I we that's one thing we've been talking about for two days is guys you didn't like the way you played at San Diego State and you fought back and went and got a tough road win at Colorado State. And if you think Reno is going to do anything different, uh, you're going to be you're going to be upset. And uh, you're going to be mistaken because they're with that with Coach Alford, who's as accomplished as anyone and been coaching a long time. I mean, those guys uh, are highly doubtful they're going to come in and 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 struggle uh, Tuesday in back-to-back games. So, uh, and I think our guys recognize that. You know, they they bounced back, they picked themselves up, dusted themselves off, and went got a tough road win at Colorado State. And you know, we've got to understand that uh, Reno is uh, is just as capable of doing the same thing and and making adjustments and, and having a, a better result uh, tomorrow night against us if, if we're not ready to come out and uh, swing away. You know, that's a great uh, approach that you're taking there, and uh, that's a fantastic approach. And this way, again, you know, you're, you're thinking, okay, hey, this is what we did. we got to be prepared for these guys. And you add the rivalry aspect onto it as well, too. And we know what this rivalry means, and we've seen, you know, these, these great battles, you know, here or up in Reno as well, too. So I know that you're probably expecting that. Uh, you know, speaking of, of Reno – what is your opinion of this team with Alford and maybe even last year's team with Alford compared to what Musselman was doing uh, in, in the type of players that he had? Are they, are they a different type of team, different type of players? Obviously, it's a little bit different system. Just kind of compare the two. Um, well, I, you know, I wasn't here for Musselman right. uh, when he was at Reno, but you know, knowing I've actually known Mus about almost 25 years right. now. Right, and I realize uh, that, yeah. 
and him and Alfred are definitely different people. <laughs> you know, there's there's no question about that. But uh, I, you know, Musk when he was high on the transfer market, and I think defensively they're just a little different. But you know, this year's Reno team, when you got guys like Sherfield and Cambridge that can score it and and be aggressive the way they are, if, if you focus too much time and attention on them and say you if you stop them they're okay. You know, you got a Big 12 and a Pac-12 transfer down low, both nearing seven feet, that can easily, you know, uh, score and, and make an impact and win games. So I think, uh, you know, one thing you know with Coach Alford and Noodles over there, they're, they're going to be prepared. They're going to watch film. They're going to know how to how to exploit your weaknesses and, and your tendencies. So uh, we've we got to be just kind of on our toes and, and ready for everything and, and just kind of challenge, continue to challenge the guys. that it, It's about playing hard and playing together and, you know, we'll, whichever way the ball bounces, it is what it is. But if you play hard, you, you'll be okay. You know, I don't think a lot of people knew what to fully expect about this year's Mountain West Conference. You know, they knew, okay, San Diego State. But it just didn't seem like that you, we knew exactly what you were going to get out of teams like out of Utah State or, you know, Wyoming or, you know, or, or even Reno for that matter. Uh, tell us what what you've seen so far. Uh, any surprises at all, or is it a little bit more competitive than than you might thought? You know, where it's not just you know one team at the top. I mean, you've really got like five or six teams that uh, you know can compete for you know you know top four or five spots. Yeah, I think without question, you know, it's it's been the probably the best overall that it's been since mm-hmm. the expansion. Um, I know, you know, statistically, we may be splitting hairs on a one year versus another, but you know, there we've got four and potentially five NCAA tournament teams that, you know, at this point in the season, I'm not sure when the last time since we expanded to 11 that that's happened. And uh, you know, of course, people, some people could consider Wyoming the the surprise, and maybe their nets, you know, or their Ken Palms a little higher than. Even the people who knew they were going to be good is expected. They've had a heck of a year, and you know that San Diego State's going to be there. Um, you know Boise's going to be there, but they got people they returned. Um, but I think a lot of the uncertainty probably just came from a number of, of new coaches. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, you're not sure what you're getting, who's who left, whether or not it's going to fit, um, kind of this, that, or the other. But, yeah, I, I think the, the Mountain West, again, is as good as it's been in a long time. And, you know, unfortunately, I think it's going to be that way for a long time. No, but I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, it's great for the conference to get the the attention, get a number of teams in, because uh, I mean, it's definitely a battle each night. All right, tomorrow night, Thomas and Mack Center, seven thirty. Get out there, support the Rebels as they take on Reno. Uh, tell us uh, the the health update uh, for the Rebels. Uh, is is Donovan, Donovan Williams going to be back? Where are we at with this? Yeah, Donovan's actually, so there was nothing uh, structurally damaged in his knee, so we're going to, I mean, he's good to kind of go as a day-to-day. So it really is a game-time decision. It's kind of uh, depends on how things are going, and and uh, we kind of go from there. All right. How do you feel uh, about your point guard play? How do, how do you feel that uh, what you're getting out of McCabe so far? Oh, I thought Jordan's been great. I thought, uh, you know, we, we asked him to do a lot of things, uh, and he's got the ball a lot. And uh, for his assist to turnover ratio to be where it's at, I think it has been pivotal for this group. Uh, you know, we've got a, a new group, uh, as we've talked about before, and, and the fact that we take care of the ball, I think has really helped us, especially early on, just gave us a chance to, to win games that 
I mean, unfortunately, our three home games to start, you know, we uh, we probably don't win them if we turn turn the ball over, and a large part of that is because of Jordan. He's getting guys where they're supposed to be. He's making the right plays, uh, taking care of the ball, and I, I, I continue. I, I think he'll continue to improve his three point percentage as he just continues to play games. All right, Rebels, get ready for. Nevada Reno tomorrow night at the Thomas and Mack Center. Kevin, you get a chance to watch any championship Sunday yesterday? You get a chance to watch the the two football games and you got an early Super Bowl prediction for us. Oh, we did. We got to watch them. Uh we, we got home at halftime of the Chiefs Bengals and then got to watch the Rams Niners uh in its entirety. But uh, uh I mean if I if I had to pick, I don't know. I, I, I do enjoy watching uh Joe Burrow is his swagger and confidence, but at the same time, uh, Matthew Stafford and his wife, what they've been through, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's a, a story that'll tear at your heartstrings pretty good. So right. I'm just hoping for a good game. Yeah, I'm sure we'll, we'll get it as well, too. All right, my man, I appreciate the time. We look forward to seeing you uh, tomorrow night, and good luck uh, against the Wolfpack. All right, thanks, guys. Take care. There he is, Kevin Kruger, the head coach at UNLV, and the Rebs. Coming off that very impressive performance last night, or rather Friday night, against uh, Colorado State, winning eighty-eight to seventy-four, they led from the outset, had an eighteen-point halftime lead. Bryce Hamilton, uh, career high, forty-five points, uh, was just, uh, I believe, what, what, uh, you know, five points short of the UNLV all-time uh, record, but uh, yeah. Hamilton was fantastic, forty-five points, seven rebounds, and five assists, and again. It's it's a rivalry game. We hope the student body shows up. You know, they're back in session now. You hope that the fans get out there as well, too. Get out there, support this this uh, basketball team. Uh, they have shown that they can play some very good basketball at times. Sometimes they're a little overmatched. They were that, oh, that situation uh, last Monday night against San Diego State when the Rebels got beat 80-55. to But, man, kudos to Kevin Kruger and the staff and all these players for going up to Colorado State, a team that was on fire at the top of the Mountain West Conference, and UNLV went in there and just drilled them. They drilled them on the road. And again, they were a a huge underdog in this game, a 14-point underdog, and they ended up winning the game by 14 points. So hopefully this is a turning point for UNLV, and then come back and they can get the victory against Reno tomorrow night. And this Reno team, Steve Alford's team, is struggling. There's no question about it. We touched upon it right there with Kevin Kruger. But they played Utah State going back on Saturday night, and they got destroyed on their home floor. Talking about a team that was never in the game uh, in that contest. I mean, they got blasted, just thoroughly outplayed in every aspect of the game. And to see them lose 78-49, to wow. And Utah State, I mean, they're, they're residing in ninth place in the Mountain West Conference. And they go into Reno and win by 29 points. Insane. So interesting what Kevin, Kevin Kruger said as well, too. Saying, hey, if you think that, that Reno is, is going to have that kind of performance that they had the other night, just go back to the way we performed, as in the Rebels performed, is what he's telling his team after Monday night's game at San Diego State, and then just go in there and play with basically reckless abandon and be calm, cool, and just uh, you know let it rip. And that's exactly what they did. You can see the Colorado State kind of took UNLV lightly, 
And uh, I do not think the Rebels would be taking UNR lightly, considering that it's a rivalry game. These two teams have fought uh, tooth and nail, you know, the last uh, you know several years. So we'll see how this plays out. But Nevada Reno having uh, their struggles uh, so far this year, not playing good basketball really at all, especially the last couple of weeks. They sit at nine and nine right now. Like I said, coming off that uh, humiliating loss to Utah State, and then before that. They went up to Colorado State and they got beat seventy-seven to sixty-six. So UNLV can look at that. And said, "Hey, we went to Colorado State. We won by fourteen, and uh, Reno went to Colorado State and lost by eleven. So it'd be interesting. But uh, the Wolfpack struggling. Lost uh, three out of their last four games. Throwing another loss to Wyoming. They did beat Fresno State there. So we'll see how that is. All right, we'll look forward to that. I want to thank our guest crew today." Led by Timmy B, Tim Brando from Fox Sports. Tim Brando, a fantastic job. Uh, just a longtime great broadcaster. He's uh, with Fox right now doing the college basketball. And like I said, this coming Saturday, Timmy B will be on the Michigan-Purdue game. What a top ten affair that is going to be as uh, Purdue ranked number four right now in uh, Michigan in the top ten as well, Tim. All right, so check all that out um, uh, on Saturday with Timmy B. And Bill Rafferty. Got to love those two guys working together. Also want to thank Matt Holt for joining us. U.S. Integrity. Talking about the sportsbook side of things. And also Championship Sunday from yesterday. And of course, Kevin Kruger, the head coach at UNLV. Tomorrow, right back at it. Talk to our good friend Trevor Maddich, Steve Berline. Uh, our NFL crew continues on. We've got two weeks to hype up the Super Bowl and analyze all aspects of it, the Cincinnati Bengals and the Los Angeles Rams. And don't forget the Raiders again announcing today at their press conference that just happened at 2 o'clock today. They hired Dave Ziegler as their general manager. He comes over from the New England Patriots, their former director of player personnel, and Josh McDaniels also, the offensive coordinator, has six Super Bowl rings underneath Bill Belichick. He is the new head coach of the Raiders. So we'll have that audio for you tomorrow, so hang tight for that. For Numchuck, TC saying so long. Have yourself a good one. Go to the website. Check out our Super Bowl preview that's up there right now. We'll give you some information. And also our uh, wrestling interview is still up on the website. And uh, our other interviews up on the the interview pages as well, too. So check it all out at tcmartinshow.com. Have yourself a good one. We'll talk to you tomorrow at 2.00.